Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. So, so, okay, you are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast <laughs> where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. And sometimes one of the three friends already <laughs> chugged wine. Or something. <laughs> sometimes one of the three friends, named Kenyon, Went to a dinner party on a casual Tuesday night, thinking nothing yeah. of it, and yeah. came back five hours later having drank a bottle of wine and a bunch of homemade Calvados from a French grandfather. What? That doesn't sound good. Which is just like... Confusing. Fucking, what's it called? Ether? No, what's it called? What? <laughs> like, uh... Everclear? Everclear. Everclear. It's basically <laughs> just French. Basically the same thing as ether. Everclear. So this episode, Amanda and Lucy will be drinking wine, and I, Kenyon, will be sobering up. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so. great. <laughs> We're going in reverse order today. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I um, love it. So the drunk one is Kenyon. Obviously. Yeah, for once, it's I'm usually Lucy. me. <laughs> and I'm Amanda. Sober as a judge. It was a judge. casual Tuesday dinner party <laughs> I couldn't have known. Emphasis on casual. <laughs> casual. Casual. Oh, Lord. All right. Uh, so oh this week we will be discussing axe murders. Mm-hmm. Yes. Fuck yeah. All right. Gonna Super be Super so violent. Good. Super violent and bloody really violent. and gory and gross, and it's gonna be a lot of amazing. fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Amanda, what yeah. is our wine crime pairing for Axe Murders? Yeah. Let me pull By up. By the way, my I'm notes. crushing it right now. You really are. You're keeping Thank it you. very <laughs> much together. Mm-hmm. Airtight. You're so together. Um, I just, before I even read the wine crime pairing, I just want to read a text that I just received (laughs) from my friend who is a listener and she has turned her friend onto the podcast and he has been binging it and then just like live texting directly (laughs) to her all the things that he likes. And she just got a text, which was quote, has Dan proposed yet? And I just wanted to (laughs) respond to him directly. No. No. He hasn't. Not chat. Nope, so we just got that out of the way. Okay. Here's what we're drinking this week. No. The answer is no. <clears throat> oh, God. We are drinking Tinedo Cala number one Tempranillo blend. 
Those are words. So they are words. <laughs> they mean things, and we're going to talk about what they mean. This is okay. a Tempranillo blended with Syrah and Cabsov, which are two varietals that we have already discussed. So we're going to focus on Tempranillo today. It is 60% of the, of the wine, so it's predominantly Tempranillo anyway. Mm. Um, this is a black grape varietal that is widely grown to make full-bodied red wines in its native Spain. Mm. So it's not it's a Grenache, bad. but it is a Spanish red. So it's, close it's not to a far a cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Its name comes from the Spanish temprano, meaning early, which is a reference to the fact that it ripens several weeks earlier than most Spanish red grapes. Mm. So that probably gives it a lot of the attributes of its flavor and aroma. Mm. Unlike it's an early more aromatic bloom. early bloom. Unlike more aromatic red wine varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, Sangiovese, or Pinot Noir, Tempranillo has a relatively neutral profile, so it's often blended with other varieties to give it a little more pop of flavor. Um, And Tempranillo usually exhibits flavors of plum and strawberry. Mm, And I chose this wine. Strawberry. Strawberry. I chose this wine, as by the time this releases, you will see, the label is just a bunch of, like, disembodied heads like people's faces just floating around <laughs> with like little red some of them have like red dots behind them that look like pools of blood so it looked like a bunch of severed heads so I was right. like that looks good perfect. that's perfect it is a cork so we're gonna get a nice pop this week oh. assuming I don't pop back it. it up pop. let's we're gonna screw it in here we go mm-hmm. we're screwing it in I had yet another person ask me if the pop was real it's, it's real, real people it's here we real. go Ready? Pop! Ooh, that was like a Roll nice, good like, pop. delicate flower of a pop. I've been using that new wine key for the last couple weeks, and my pops are a lot less embarrassing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't me. Cheers, ladies, but not Kenyan, because you can't Cheers. drink anymore or you'll with die. water! Cheers to hydrating and waking Ooh. up with lots of regrets. <laughs> Fortunately, your regrets yeah. this week will be recorded. Yeah, yep. thank documented God. forever. We How got lucky home you are. And Zach was like, you know that like thousands of people are gonna hear this, right? And I was like, <laughs> oh ye of little face. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going well so far. Tens We're ten of minutes thousands. in and no one has vomited. Yeah. If I have one more burp of the Calvados, uh, that record will be blown. But <laughs> like your chunks. For now. <laughs> oh, I want you to puke on air so bad. Like, so bad. Uh, <laughs> I really want it. <laughs> when somebody, when you're at a dinner party and somebody is like, oh, you're going to be drinking wine later anyway. You might as well drink wine now. And so you do, you do, you do. And then they're like, oh, here's this homemade Calvados moonshine that my dead grandfather made and this is the very last batch and you're all gonna drink it with me you can't be like nah I'm good oh yeah true or else the grandpa will haunt you right I already have sangomas on my ass I'm you don't need any more supernatural baggage I was I was done I was done for had to do it I love it All right, well, try to stick with us here. All right, Lucy, give us some background and psych for fucking axe murders. All right, so I've got some psych. It's not a lot because, I mean, it's 
essentially when someone murders someone else with an axe. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty easy to follow. But uh, did a little bit of did a little bit of research. Um, so we- weapons. There are two kinds of weapons. One is a weapon of opportunity, meaning mm-hmm. it's just whatever the person found at the scene. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and the other could be like a planned weapon, which was brought with them. And an axe can be either one, but more likely a weapon of opportunity. Um, in my research, it oh. just seemed more like in the more old timey cases, like it was a common tool on a farm. If you're in a rural area, which like every area was a long right. time ago, it mm-hmm. wouldn't be that weird to see someone walking down the street carrying an axe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but, but nowadays, another, I feel like it would be more planned. Like, we maybe. don't have an axe. We don't either. I do. I mean, maybe in the shed, but I don't yeah. go in there because that's where all the spiders in the entire city of Minneapolis <laughs> live. <laughs> Every single spider. <laughs> They're guarding your axe. <laughs> we have an axe. I don't know. People have axes. Sure they do. But another that's thing, totally normal. Another in thing Iowa. to note... Another thing to note is that axes are fairly useless against a moving target, so it depends on how this murder shakes out, which leads... I do have a sto- a little... a brief story to tell. I'm going to join your guys' side this episode. Ooh. Yes. Um, um, just a couple more details how gender plays into choosing a murder weapon, which I kind of got a little bit into. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously men commit 90% of murders, duh. Mm-hmm. I was actually <laughs> a little low. Yep. Yeah. So, in my mind. Uh, Men use guns 60% of the time, while women use guns less than half of the time. And the order in which women are more likely to use which weapons, it goes first guns, then a knife, then they will beat someone to death or strike them with a blunt object, and then poison is number six on that list. Axes were not identified. This is just for women. Hmm. Okay. Getting a little bit off track here, but I got I got a little excited. Women are seven times more likely to choose poison than men. Okay. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't like um, to clean up. We clean all day every day. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to clean up your fucking mess after we mm-hmm. kill you, which you probably deserved it, by the way. Well, yeah. the, st- the stats are because <laughs> women commit, like, so few of the murders out there mm-hmm. that women are... Evidently more resourceful, and they're more likely to use any kind of weapon versus men who mostly resort to guns and beating, basically. Yeah, they're just a little bit more uh, cut and dried. They're a little more base in Mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Women prefer stabbing, asphyxiation, poison, drowning, and fire, and explosives, and defenestration, which is one of my favorite words. Yeah. Yes. Chucking, Chucking out a window, someone out the right? window. Yep. Yes. Love it. He mm-hmm. fell. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. He fell. <laughs> so when it comes to axes, they are ultra-violent. They leave a massive mess. They're very mm-hmm. heavy to yeah. wield. Um, I so, don't have upper body or lower body or middle body strength, so that would be hard for me. Bodily strength. <laughs> I lack bodily strength. <laughs> Physical fortitude in any capacity. It is zero. I lack long-term and short-term endurance. <laughs> can walk and sit and stand. You're like my dog. I, 
I can usually sit up. I'm not sitting up right now. I'm in my bed. (laughs) I'm pretty much always recording from like a laying down position. (laughs) It's so comfortable. I record in my bedroom. Oh, I'm so jealous. Fix that. Um, Okay. Back to axes. What they what what they say about the perpetrator is that they're probably a strong individual. Um, depending on the space where the crime was committed, um, investigators could possibly tell whether this person has had experience wielding an axe based on how, like, precise, how Mm -hmm. good their aim was, Mm -hmm. how much, like, velocity they've gotten, you know, like, Mm -hmm. if it's in a very small room, it would be hard to get a good go and, like, hit your target. Yeah, you can't back it up enough to get that speed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's about all the background I have, which is why I'm going to talk about the first case, um, mm-hmm. which happened not too far away from where I am right now in mm-hmm. Villisca, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Love it. And this case this- was recommended by a fan, and I was too drunk to look up the name of that fan. But thank Good you idea. for recommending oh. it. Nailed I didn't it. know it. I just did it because going here is on my bucket list, obviously. (laughs) I don't know anything about the case. I just saw their email. Yeah. Oh, okay. I never know anything. Um, Okay, so it's in the southwest part of Iowa. At the time, which was June 10th, between June 9th and June 10th, 1912, the population was about 2,000 people. So very pretty small town. There were a lot of railroad tracks nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, which is important to the story. Oh, great. So the, the six <laughs> members of the Moore family, uh, parents Josiah and Sarah, plus six children, which were Herman, age 11, Mary mm. Catherine, 10, Arthur, 7, Paul, 5, plus two house guests, which were sisters named Ina May, who was 8, and Lena, who were 12. Ina and Lena. Yep, the Stillinger, Stillinger sisters. They just got so uncreative. They had so many kids at this point. They're like, fuck it, I don't know. Lena, Dina, (laughs) Shrina, Katrina. Barry, Larry, Mary, Carrie, Sherry, (laughs) Terry. So they were were friends with Mary Catherine, which was one of the daughters. Mm -hmm. um, And they were just over for a sleepover. And all eight of them were flat, found bludgeoned to death in their home on the morning oh of God. June 10th. Um, all eight had severe head wounds from an axe. Mm-hmm. And the, the story was Mary Catherine had invited the other two girls over to spend the night after the Children's Day program at the local Presbyterian church, which had been organized by Sarah, the mother. And most or all of the children had performed in this play in like mm-hmm. dressed up in their little clothes. So um, we'll get back to that later. Could be like oh. a a reason for the murders, possibly. What that the is program a ended harsh at, critic of a children's pro- play. <laughs> 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 okay, all right. Maybe they forgot some lines. The play the, sucked. The this will never win a Tony. Great. <laughs> they weren't even off script for Christ's sake. They, they weren't even off book. The blocking was garbage. The blocking was garbage. Where is Neil Patrick Harris when we need him? I'm bludgeoning all of you to death. How dare oh you? Oh my god. 
<laughs> okay, so the family left the church at about 9.30 p.m. They walked back to their house, arriving between 9.45 and 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. At 7 a.m. the next day, the neighbor, Mary Peckham, grew concerned because she hadn't seen the family out to do their morning chores yet. Mm-hmm. So, which fucking I would nosy be like, neighbor, maybe just fuck off or sleeping in. <laughs> I require nine off. hours of sleep. <laughs> maybe just mind your own fucking business, Mary right. Peckham. Jesus. God damn it. <laughs> so she went over. Ass she's you. like the hero in this story. I know. Like, I realize this. <laughs> fucking bitch. Let him be. Back off. <laughs> but had they been sleeping and she was yeah. just nosing around, they'd be pissed. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. I'm yeah. just imagining the alternate reality where they lived in this story has a happy ending. Okay. That's right. not what happened. I know. <laughs> if my neighbors gave Ethan the slightest shit about me, the police would have been called so many times. Uh, yeah, you're currently screaming in your dining room at 2 in the morning, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. To myself. They don't know that I'm talking to anyone. They think I'm just talking to voices. You're not. This entire (laughs) podcast has been in your head this entire time. None of this is real. The first Amanda and I don't exist. (laughs) That'd be an amazing plot twist. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, so she went over and knocked on the door with no answer. She tried to open the door, but it was locked from the inside. So she let out their chickens for them and called Josiah's brother, Ross, who came over and opened the door with his copy of their house key. Uh, Mary waited on the porch while Ross went inside where he found Ina and Lena's bodies in the guest bedroom. So they were in the guest bedroom downstairs. The rest of the family, his bedrooms were upstairs. So Mm -hmm. obviously this can't be good. Mm -hmm. So he runs out, calls the cops. The cops search the house and found the rest of the family. Um, The axe belonged to Josiah. So they thought that it was just hanging out outside by, you know, the wood pile. Sure. Mm-hmm. Someone came and got it and killed him. Um, so the axe was found in the guest bedroom next to the two Stillinger girls. Mm-hmm. So okay. investigators determined that this happened between midnight and 5 a.m. They found two cigarette butts in the attic, implying that the killer or killers waited patiently in the attic for the family to go to sleep. <gasps> and they didn't in the the smoking indoors? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. In creepy the shit. Attic? A farm with animals. Um, yeah, another, these creeps are in the attic. Another theory. It gets so much creepier, you guys. This Ugh. sets up like a fucking horror story. Like a, Great. I couldn't even make this up. Um, another theory is that I'm going to assume that the killer is a he because obviously. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the stats would show that those 90, odds are 10. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Another theory is that he entered shortly after midnight, took a lamp from the desk, bent the wick so he took the gl- the the glass uh chimney off of the lamp mm-hmm. and set it carefully aside bent the wick inside in half so that the flame was super super small hmm. okay um and so it just the 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 so the flame was very faint and no one would like wake up just because of the light mm-hmm. and then he that's when he did the murders that, that will be important. So creepy. That'll I be important it. later. The lack so, of electricity is disturbing. It really yeah. is. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm a millennial. Well, they had a telephone. 
Okay. I don't is that electricity? Was it an iPhone? I don't think so. No. Well, that will also come into play. Flashlights? Anyway, okay. They the the killer entered the master bedroom first and killed the parents. And he raised the axe so high above his head that it gouged the ceiling above him. Oh, Jesus. Josiah, the father, received the most blows out of everybody. And in the end, he was hit so many times in the face that his eyes were missing entirely. Like Shut they just, the fuck up. Like they were just shredded. Gone. They were just, they're gone. It was all just a pulp. Oh. That is um, Lucy, my God. Yeah. Oh, you guys. Oh, my God. Buckle uh, up. It I'm gets worse. A barf bag. It gets worse than a pulp. Yeah, <laughs> face pulp. <laughs> I mean, I prefer pulp my grapefruit face. juice face pulp free. Thank you very much. It's kind of like eye pulp. Could you Brain. strain it? Oh, God. Twice strained. All right. He was also the only one who received the blade of the axe rather than the blunt end. And investigators think that that's important, maybe thinking that this person had done the same thing before, because if he had used the blade end for every single strike, then there it would be pretty likely that at some point the blade would get stuck in the wound mm-hmm. and it would, you know, it would just be hard to pull out. So he knew to use the blunt end of the axe, which was basically just as dangerous, but it wouldn't Fucking get stuck. Ew. How could you possibly know that? Because maybe he's done it before. Yeah, but like, mm. uh, uh, how could that even occur to anyone? To I mean, do? when you're when you're chopping wood, your blade gets stuck in the wood if you don't crack the whole log in half. That's what she said. It's pretty <laughs> obvious. <laughs> sure, but then you don't go trying to beat the log with the blunt end of the axe. That's what you're she just... said. If if pulp was not even your... good. If pulp was your desired result, oh, it makes sense. Stop Wood chips. <laughs> Let me continue. I'm so scared. So, the killer or killers then killed the four more children in their bedroom, which was also uh. upstairs. Then he went downstairs and found the two Stillinger, Stillinger girls in the guest room and killed them in the same manner. So nobody Lena, had time to scream because they were asleep, and then they, they were, were all they hacked. were all sleeping. They were all sleeping, and there it wasn't loud enough to mm. to wake anyone up. So Lena, well, that's actually not true. Lena was found lying crosswise in the bed, and she had a defensive cut on her arm, leading investigators to believe that she was awake when the killer entered that guest room. Yep, and tried to defend herself. She also had her nightgown up to her waist and she wasn't wearing underwear so she think they think that she may have been molested but they couldn't find any direct evidence like semen or anything well because she was a pulp so well just their heads it wasn't their whole bodies it was just (laughs) their heads okay okay she was also the (laughs) oldest girl child so Mm -hmm. that would might explain the molestation and also the waking up and defending Part. So, so potentially, this guy could have come in on the ground floor, picked up a lamp from a desk, fiddled with it so the light was dim, walked mm-hmm. upstairs, went to the master bedroom, killed two people there, went to another upstairs bedroom, killed uh, four, five children? Four people. Four. Four. And then two more. 
and then and then went back downstairs to the guest room and killed one and then attempted to molest another and then killed her. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Great. Makes um, sense. Great. Uh, there are different theories because they n- never found who did it. Right. This is kind of as much as they know. So it's unsolved. Correct. Um, Fuck. Okay, so this, this part's kind of fucked up. So after he... As she giggles to herself. After he killed the two girls downstairs, he went back upstairs to hack up the heads even more of all four children and the two parents. Nope. Hmm. nope. So he went back to the dead people to continue pulping them. Yeah. So Josiah had no fewer than 30 blows. And of course, by that point, how the fuck can you even tell? I mean, blood spatter analysis, naturally, but. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the killer. Okay, you guys. It, uh, mm. it gets so much creepier. What? Oh, great. Okay. After this, the killer then went around the house and covered all of the bodies with sheets or clothes. And then he went around the rest of the house and hung curtains, aprons, and cloths over every mirror and window. Mirror? He didn't want to see his own reflection. It said all all glass surfaces, so I think that would probably include, like, framed pictures and Which begs the question of if this is someone they know, because didn't we talk about in the Crimes of Passion how Often when somebody murders someone they know, they cover the body. Yeah, yeah, it's like a sign of remorse. Maybe he was disfigured himself and didn't want to see his own reflection. Maybe, but keep in mind, it's the middle of the night. Like how much reflection? Yeah. Yeah, Um, but he had that creepy little candle. So he then took a two-pound slab of bacon from the icebox, wrapped it in a towel, and and left it on the floor downstairs next to a little piece of keychain that did not belong to the Moors. He also filled a bowl with water and washed his bloody hands in it. And then he left, locked the door behind him with their own house key, and vanished. What? Um, Another tidbit is that investigators thought he was left-handed based on some blood spatter analysis. Why, so, what, what year was this? Bacon? 1912. Um, the, they don't really know what the deal with the bacon was. It could have been a sign that he left abruptly, like he planned on taking it with him, but he left it there. Yeah. Or maybe they don't he know. injured himself and he wanted something cold to cold. ice his injury. That could be it, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are five main suspects. And as I was reading through who these five suspects were and why they were suspects, I'm like, oh, my God, they fucking all did it. Yeah. Like, they're all creepy and weird and could totally have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one is a Reverend George Kelly, who was a traveling reverend, and he was clinically insane, like mentally ill. Oh, he, had a, he was the one who had attended the children's day party. Mm. Um, and he had also been caught in days prior peeping into people's houses around town. No. Great. Um, he was later arrested for just being like a general perv and sending lewd (laughs) material to people. And, um, he, he claimed later to the police. That's what I'm going to be arrested for. A general general perv. perv. (laughs) Amanda, general perv. That's my rank in the army. That's your rank in the army. (laughs) 
your respects to General Perv. <laughs> it's <what>? pronounced Perv. <laughs> <laughs> so he claimed to have heard noises oh, and witnessed the murders himself. Oh, but how convenient. He was arrested for the murders five years later and actually confessed to them, quote, I killed the children upstairs first and the children downstairs last. I knew God wanted me to do it this way. Slay utterly came to my mind, and I picked up the axe, went into the house, and killed them. Oh, God. But he later recanted his statement because he's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. was, he was put on trial twice, the first ending in a hung jury and the second in acquittal because fuck? he's fucking nuts. He went into this, he, he went into a mental hospital. Oh, and also he was left-handed. Mm. Okay. So, he so did, had, did had the police released the fact that they thought that that people upstairs were killed first and the people downstairs killed last? Right, because maybe he just read about it. Knowledge, yeah. Or, I'm or, not sure because the crime scene itself was a complete clusterfuck. Like right. as soon as the town, ta- the people in the small town found out that the Moors were hacked to death, mm-hmm. then they all like clustered around the house like trying to see what was going on and apparently the cops let roughly 100 people into the house yeah to just walk around trapes all over and one person that said that they even took a piece of josiah's skull as a Mm -hmm. keepsake that would so So, be your mom lucy or me right the the glass eye (laughs) the glass eye (laughs) so yeah the crime scene was Definitely compromised. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how much information they had, like, at the outset. Okay. okay. But it sounds, from that, it sounds like it could be very likely that he could have just read that piece of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, okay. he might have. Um, okay. Another, another possible suspect is a man named Andy Sawyer, who was a transient, who approached a work crew at about 6 a.m. the morning the murders were discovered, wearing a brown suit that was soaked and muddy up to the knees, asking for work. But they needed someone, so they hired him. And later that, later that night, he purchased a newspaper and went off by himself to read it. And, the, and obviously the newspaper had the story of what happened because it was, like, just a couple towns over. Mm-hmm. And his fellow workmen later said that he just became obsessed and kept talking about the murders, kept, you know, uh, speculating whether they had caught anyone yet. Um mm. He also insisted on sleeping next to his axe and got, and got anxious when he was left alone. Okay, well, that is more pertinent than the muddy suit. That's number right. one. That's number one. <laughs> yeah, but they're like, work, they're like workmen. They all have tools. Yeah, mm. but they don't sleep with them. It seems <laughs> like he was protecting it to keep it from being taken as evidence. Well, that's why that little factoid was brought to the police's attention. So his employer who went to the cops and said, this guy's really suspicious. You should check him out. He later testified in this trial that soon after the murder, he was approaching Sawyer from behind when he saw Sawyer rubbing his hands on his head and then suddenly like lunging forward and saying to himself, I will cut off your, I'll cut your goddamn heads off. And yeah. swinging his arms above him as if he had an axe and beating the piles of, like, whatever in front of him. I don't like okay. it. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. No. Nope. I don't like it. It's a fun little role play. 
He also uh, told another worker exactly how the killer could have escaped from the house undetected with, like, serious detail down to, oh, well, he could have used that tree over there to help lower himself down into the creek and escape that way, pointing mm-hmm. to a tree next to a creek. Like, oh, God. really specific. And he's that just a transient. in the yard. So that they, they don't really know anything about him. Mm-hmm. Yep, but he was exonerated because of irrefu- irrefutable proof that he had been in Osceola, Hala, the night of the murders. But uh, he sounds really fucking fishy. Mm. Mm. And his irrefutable proof was that he was arrested in Osceola for being <laughs> probably a general perv. And the sheriff was like, yeah, he was definitely here. It wasn't him. Amazing. Okay. He was in the drunk tank. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't yeah. have done it. Yeah. So another suspect is a man named Frank Jones, who was a local businessman for whom Josiah had worked. And later Josiah opened his own store or business or whatever and took some really valuable accounts away from Frank, including uh, John Deere. And this is like ooh. fucking that's when you want John Deere stock is in mm-hmm. 1912. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's like Microsoft. So, mm-hmm. so took business away from Frank. He also, Josiah may have been having an affair with Jos- with uh, Frank's daughter-in-law, maybe. But mm-hmm. basically, he just humiliated him, embarrassed him in this small town, and he just, he just hated him. Mm-hmm. Another theory, which is sort of two theories, which is probably what happened, and this is where the, creepy, the creepiest part of this whole story, oh, and okay. also the end. There's a man named William Blackie Mansfield. Oh, okay. And the, the theory is that he was hired by Frank Jones to kill the Moore family. Mm-hmm. And this theory kind of comes out of the Frank Jones thing and kind of comes because two years after these murders, William Mansfield was arrested for killing his own wife, infant, mother-in-law, and father-in-law with an axe in Illinois in basically the exact same manner. Two years later. Two years later. But Mansfield was suspected to be the final suspect, which may or may not have been him, a serial axe murderer. (gasps) Because between 1911 and 1912, there were like a bunch of axe murderers across the Midwest, always near railroads. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this big network. Yeah, they were spread out, but if the guy was on, was riding the, the trains. Yeah. Then yeah. he just hops a train back and gets out of yeah. town. and Exactly. Mm-hmm. Shit. So, uh, the assailant in several of these murders uh, bent the wick the same way, took off that glass chimney, bent that wick the same way in several of these cases. He also covered the victim's faces. Uh He also lingered in the house afterwards for a while. Checking out the bacon. Uh, A lot. uh. Most most of these murders occurred on a Sunday night, Mm -hmm. and the murder weapon was found nearby. Anything about the windows or the mirrors being covered? Oh, good question. I'll get to that. So investigators think that whoever did it had some experience, as we said before, because he knew how to use the blunt side of the blade so it wouldn't get stuck. Ick. Ick. So similar to the people who killed this family. I'm sobering up a little, and now I understand that you're saying the blunt side of the blade and not the blunt side of the the axe. I thought he was... Not like the handle. That is what I was picturing, and that is why I was harping on it so much, because it was like, why would anyone 
do that. Do that. <laughs> Just use a baseball bat. What is he holding on to? He can't Why? hold on to the blade. Why? Okay. All right. He hurt himself. <laughs> what? Wait. Okay. What? Wait. Okay. All right, now it makes sense. I get it. The sharp side of the blade, the blunt side of the blade. Okay, that's totally, that's kosher. I get it. The Keep water up. is working. The water is working, y'all. Chug, 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 chug. Okay. So I'm going to meet here's you somewhere the last, in the middle soon. Here. Here's the last creepy part. Here is the last creepy part. We're listening. So, the murderer of a family of five in Ellsworth, Kansas, in October 1911, which was, you know, about eight months before the murder that we're talking about, Uh uh, that murderer also used the same lamp trick, covered their faces, but he also covered the family's telephone. Hmm. And I want you guys to go to the drive. No. Slash the blog. Oh, God. I need to go lock my door. I'm freaked out. Look at the photo of the old-timey telephone, which I will describe to our listeners. Oh, my God. I uploaded so, fart. Oh, okay, got it, got it. So, an old telephone, it's a wooden box. It has, like, the microphone speaking part kind of sticking out towards, mm-hmm. you know, your face. Mm-hmm. And then on the side, there's the earpiece part that you can listen into, and that's on a cord. Mm-hmm. And then when the phone rings, there are two bells on top that vibrate against each other, and that's what rings it. Mm-hmm. So... This murderer also covered the family's phone because they think that it looks like a fucking face. It does oh look like God. a face. It, it does look perhaps like a face. Looks like the a murderer face. feared that his dead victims could see him, so he was covering up all possible eyes that could be watching him, so including just, the phone. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So just Ick. a psycho. Just a fucking psycho. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a question, though. Because, like, okay. clearly this last guy totally did it. Yeah. But what... Well, Bla- sh- Blackie may or may not be the axe murderer. Probably is. Okay. But that is also unsolved. All right. Well, let's say Blackie is the axe murderer. But you said that there was a connection between grudge-holding Frank and Blackie. Hiring him. What, yeah. How, Frank how hired Frank, him. How could Frank know to hire this guy? Um, I they might have known each other, or I actually I think that Blackie had a very a reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew. He was just a very violent person. He'd been in and out of jail. Like maybe they knew each other, and he was like, "Well, he's basically a hitman." Right. Okay. And if you if you hire a contract killer, you're not necessarily. I would assume. Not that I have done this, but you're not necessarily <laughs> negotiating how they murder them, but just that they murder them. Mm. So yeah. if this William person is like, "Oh, I'll totally take care of these fuckers for you," and his mm-hmm. preferred method is an axe to the face, yeah. then mm-hmm. Frank Jones is probably not negotiating that portion of their contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. also, again, this was never solved. I don't think Frank, Frank Jones, well, he was acquitted or exonerated. I don't even know if he went to trial. So we may never know if Frank Jones had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Blackie may not have been involved at all. Mm-hmm. It, it's or just, it could just have just multiple been another theories. random axe attack like... All the yeah. other axe attacks. Right. Exactly. Wow. Well, cool. Great. Love it. <laughs> Awful. <Cool>. Hate it. 
You're up, Kenyon. <laughs> face oh, pulp. <laughs> face pulp might also involve some face pulp. I'm so excited nice. because this is the story that essentially started this podcast. It really did. It, it really is. did. Oh my yeah. god, it is. It okay. literally <laughs> I've been waiting is. for this. <laughs> okay, so Amanda and Lucy both know this case because, like Amanda just said, this case is the inspiration for this podcast. We were the best. drunk and hanging out when I was visiting last summer and watching a whole bunch of forensic files, and this so case much. was so fucking mind-blowingly crazy that... We had to pause just to scream, like, yeah. several times. <laughs> to scream and just pace around my family room, going, we were, like, no. We were, like, one of those YouTube videos of people, like, after, just like, a crazy basket a magic trick. has just been made. Yeah, or a magic trick. We were just literally pacing with our minds blown We were screaming. every family in a David Blaine Street special for just 45 minutes. It was amazing. God. Okay, so this case comes from uh, season 13, episode 25 of Forensic Files, and I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the murder. On Monday, November 14th, 2004, Peter Porco, unfortunate <laughs> name. It starts so strong with Peter Porco. It really does. <laughs> Uh, All right, Peter Porco didn't show up for work, and he was a happily married, middle-aged father of two, well-to-do, well-respected. He had had a long and successful legal career and was currently serving as a clerk for an appeals court judge, which is a prestigious uh, position. Mm Mm-hmm. So he was always really reliable, and then all of a sudden on this one Monday, he doesn't show up to work. And so uh, a colleague goes to his house to check on him, because he's also not answering the phone. Mm -hmm. And the colleague uh, shows up and sees a key in the door, in the front door, but the Mm -hmm. front door is ajar. Mm -hmm. And then the colleague looks down and he sees drops of blood on the front steps. Oh, God. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep, yep. So he phones the police, and uh, officers are dispatched to the scene, and they cross the threshold of the front door, and they immediately discover a bloodbath. Dun, dun, dun. Natch. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> a bloodbath. A bloodbath. <laughs> I, I wrote these notes. Wasted out of my skull an hour it. before we recorded. <laughs> kind of like Peter Borko. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so Peter Porco is dead on the stairs, which are like, you know, the bottom of the stairs is like right in the, the foyer of yeah, the home. Yep. Entry stairs. Yeah. The stairs leading up to the bedrooms probably. Yeah. Um, he had been brutally bludgeoned to death. Um, Struck some 10 to 30 times with an axe. Woof. And bled out. Do they know that based on the wounds or the blood spatter? The wounds, I'm pretty sure, from the episode. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Well, they know Counting out 30 strikes in just one person's head is, like, a lot. Yeah, I think it might have been a combination. Maybe a combo. Mm. Because they do determine... Hence the range. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do determine that he was killed upstairs in the master bedroom, not mm-hmm. where he was found or like attacked. Well, not killed, but he was yeah. struck there. Yeah. Yeah, attacked in the upstairs master bedroom and then he ended up finally dying on the stairs. So, but mm-hmm. I'll I'll My explain God. all that. That's the best part of the story. That is so, the fucking keep it best moving. Part of the story. <laughs> oh, Jesus. It's so good. <laughs> it's so fucking good, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just for our listeners, this is Kenyon's literal favorite story to tell at, like, any party. Yep. I have told so <laughs> many strangers about this story. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, finally it was like, okay, I guess we just need to start a podcast and start yeah. just, like, sending like this, this out into the airwaves. It's this Instead and, like, your just... Mosvin necrophilia story. Yeah. These are your yeah. only two anecdotal yeah. cocktail party stories that you these, have. Yeah. You these ostracize a lot of strangers. Mm-hmm. I don't care because I'm also pretty much an introvert, so yep. it works out. <laughs> um, Strategic. <laughs> okay, so upstairs, his wife, so Peter's wife, Joan, clung to life in their master bed. Mm-hmm. She, too, had been severely bludgeoned in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Three times. So Peter had been struck in the head. Yeah. But his wife was struck in the face. This poor Three. woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Three times with a three-foot fireman's axe, which was discovered lying basically next to her in the Ugh. bedroom. But Joan survived the attack. Because she's badass. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. I want to yeah. see that photo. Well, there are lots of photos on the drive. She of was her. permanently disfigured. Go take yeah. a look. Oh, please. no. It's I see. Oh. so sad. Mm-hmm. Well, she, she looks, looks pretty good considering, I would but, say. Yeah, she looks like at, at the, out of the corner of your eyes, she's just anyone's mom. And then the more you look at her, the more you're like, oh, fuck. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Your face. Do you see the, do you see the one yeah. where she's like next to the microphone in a pink yes. suit? That's the one I'm looking at right now. <laughs> yeah. The scar on her forehead and her real cheek. Bad. It's so sad. She's just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's like, if your eyes were blurred, she would She'd just look normal. Look normal. And then when you actually can see, it's like, holy shit, you're disfigured. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. you can see where the blades hit on oh, her yeah. face. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Poor baby. Yeah. All right, so Damn. keep that in mind while I read the rest of this, okay? Will do. Pertinent. So uh, the attack happened, like I said, while the couple were asleep in bed. But why, you ask, had Peter been discovered at the foot of the stairs. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh my god. Apparently, oh my god. sometime after the attack, Peter had come to, remember he had been bludgeoned with an axe to the skull 10 to up, 30 times. Up to 30 times. Oh he had god. come to and in a daze had gotten out of bed and started Going about his morning routine. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so good. It's so oh good. Oh my God. It's so bad. So, oh yes. <laughs> so he got dressed. He walked downstairs. 
And also, you have to just watch the Forensic Files episode it's, for the reenactment. The recreation is so perfect. <laughs> so good. In he all got, fairness, I don't think I open my eyes in the morning till, like, after my shower. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were soaked in blood and your wife was basically dead next to you, I don't know that I would notice. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm totally blind without my glasses, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, if yeah. this happened to me, then I think the exact same thing would go down. Yeah. Yep, very real, yep. very real. Very. All right, so he gets dressed, goes downstairs, pours himself a bowl of cereal. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> fuck. <laughs> They're not oh sure if he ate it. Went but outside he it. <laughs> to get the paper. He went outside, nobody noticed him. He's outside on the front stoop, getting (laughs) a paper, bludgeoned, covered in blood. No one bats an eye. No one in the neighborhood. It was probably like six in the morning, though. Yep. I don't know when it was. Went out to get the morning paper, realized he had locked himself out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) And retrieved the spare key hidden in a flower pot on the porch. Oh my Muscle God. memory is powerful, you guys. It's fucking powerful. Oh, yeah. The brain is so bizarre. Yeah. Mm. And it was oh only God. after all of this that he finally lost consciousness and bled out at the foot of the staircase. Yeah, like Succumbed. on his way back up to probably get dressed and go to work. Yeah, he probably died so on the way like, up the stairs. So what you you're saying coffee? is So what you're saying is the cereal was poisoned. Yeah, that's yeah. what did him in. The cereal did it. The cereal exploded his skull. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. And so, okay, forensic medical experts believe that his zombie-like state was due to the severe damage to the outer layer of his brain known as the neocortex. Mm-hmm. This is the part at cocktail parties that I just rattle off from memory. Yep. <laughs> from, from my You're paleocortex. Yep. Yeah. Oh okay. my god, you're a freak. So the outer <laughs> layer is the neocortex, which is responsible for complex thought and reasoning. And this part of his brain was so fucked up that the inner paleocortex took over. And this is the part of the brain responsible for primal instincts and second nature routine habits. Yeah. Oh my god. So, so the morning routine is in the paleocortex. Yeah, he just oh had a zombie... The spare key. Zombie <laughs> brain. I know. Fuck. Yeah. It's, oh my god, I wonder so if he, good. like, when he poured his cereal, if he, like, sniffed the milk when it came out of the fridge, or, like, how, how <laughs> detailed was his morning routine? Yeah. Oh, Did he, like, so brush good. his teeth? Did he yeah. have teeth? Uh, Did he have bro- teeth? His mouth oh was a pulp. Oh my god. Well, his wife basically didn't have teeth anymore, but I will get to that. Mm. Oh, baby. my God. Um, I oh, cannot believe she survived this. It's, yeah. And she got three blows to the face with an axe, and not like a normal uh, axe, but like a fireman's axe, like a big it's fucking designed axe. Designed for taking down doors yeah. and walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. God. Okay, so investigators quickly ascertained that on the night of the murder, the home's security, like night slash early morning, the home's security alarm had been deactivated by someone using the master code. 
Mm-hmm. And oh. then, yep. And then about two and a half hours later, the telephone line was deliberately cut. Mm-hmm. Okay. What year was this? 2004. I was going to say, it was when we were in fucking high school. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was just thinking about how recently you could cut a home, like who even has a home phone anymore? But right. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was 1912 again. <laughs> no. No. Might as well have been. I don't know. Uh, so someone knew the master code to get in past the security alarm and someone cut the phone line. Yeah. All right, here are some possible suspects, which you guys know the end of this story, but maybe some of our listeners don't. So, <laughs> I'm sure most of them don't. Okay. Not all of them get off on this most, specific most episode of Forensic Files. Have not watched this episode 18 times like we have. Some of you haven't been to a cocktail party with yours truly and don't know the end of this story yet. So uh, imagine you're at that party now and we will paint that picture for you. Um, okay, so Peter Porco, the, the victim had once received a death threat from a disgruntled uh, trial defendant who had lost custody of his kids through, like, legal proceedings that Peter Porco had been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it sounds like he definitely didn't deserve to lose custody of his kids. Yeah, sending death threats is not a way to regain custody, my friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that guy had an airtight alibi at the time of the attack, and so he mm-hmm. was ruled out. Uh, Peter Porco also had a relative in federal prison at the time for mob-related crimes, and that relative's name was Frankie the Fireman. (laughs) (laughs) I love mob names. Frankie, Chucky, Scooter, Danny, (laughs) Dan. (laughs) Propose Dan. Hashtag propose Dan. (laughs) The, the fireman. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was initially, well, he specifically wasn't looked at because he was in federal prison, but they thought that maybe the, the murder and attempted murder was like a, a signal to Frankie from another mob person mm-hmm. to not basically snitch. Mm. Yeah. And they, they thought that because a fireman's axe was used and left at the scene that it could have, Ooh. you know, the symbology might have been there. Slash um, maybe framing him. Well, he couldn't have been framed because he was in prison. Oh, okay. But, yeah. They, yeah. And he didn't seem to have any, like, beef with his relative, but they thought mm-hmm. that maybe maybe mobsters were trying to send a message to Frankie not to snitch once he was inside prison. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this was also ruled out, um, I think, mainly because Frankie had never snitched, had never given information to the police, and he'd been in prison for a while at this point. So it was ruled out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the Porcos also had life insurance policies on themselves, uh, totaling $1 million, which what not that crazy because, like, again, they're, like, this, you know, pretty well-to-do couple. Um, That's pretty standard, I think. Yeah. Sure. And uh, the beneficiaries were their uh, only two children, so two sons. 
their oldest son was 23 years old. His name is Jonathan. Um, oh. But he, <laughs> Jonathan, and I don't know if it was a typo in this one article that I read, but his name is spelled J O H N A T H A N. Like it they spelled right. out John. Nathan. Nathan. It's not I've seen you... kookier spellings. Yeah, but that's not how you're supposed to spell Jonathan. It's not. I'm sorry. No. Well, not into it. No. A lot of people have stupidly badly spelled names. Yeah. Like yeah. Lachelle. <laughs> Just <Lachely>. kidding. Right. <laughs> 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 it's unique. I love it. I'm just giving you shit. <laughs> it's what I do. My name is Kenyon, and I get like Kenya every goddamn time. <laughs> so it's fine. Or in the immortal words of Lucas, <sighs> why is your name not Kenya? I don't yeah. get it. It's not yeah. right. It's not so right. he probably felt the same about Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. Or it's not about right. you as you do with Jonathan. Okay, so oldest son, Jonathan, with the trashy name was serving <laughs> in the ah. Navy on a nuclear submarine at the time of the attack. So he was literally hundreds of miles away on a fucking Underwater. submarine. Underwater. Yeah. yeah. Hundreds of miles. He was 10,000 leagues under the sea at the time, literally so it's all Literally airtight alibi. Literally. literally. <laughs> Can't get more airtight than that, tell you what. Can't sink that guy. <laughs> oh my god. He was flying. They're not taking him down. So dumb. We are the worst. We are the worst. Again. Okay, okay. So it wasn't Jonathan. But their younger son, Christopher, was a student at the University of Rochester, which is about three hours from the family home. And um he was uh, found on campus uh, and notified by police of his father's death. But they weren't able to rule him out, and he also had a troubled past. Mm-hmm. Mm. So well, his last name is Porco, so. Yeah, yeah. It sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. I'd probably kill my parents if my last name was Porco, so. Jesus. <laughs> you. You did this How to me. How could you? You can change it to anything you want. Did you know that? God. Uh, All right. So this poor woman, she's deformed, and her last name is still Porco. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what I feel. Her husband didn't even do it, so it's not like she can go back to her maiden name. She has to like keep Porco (laughs) to honor him. God damn it! Oh Oh, my god. Nope. She made her bed. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I'm totally kidding okay so Christopher Porco had apparently visited a financial advisor before the attack and he's a college student uh-huh. um, telling the advisor that he had come into a lot of money recently and wanted investment advice oh fuck him mm-hmm. I mean interesting <laughs> Also, apparently, uh, two weeks before the attack, Christopher's parents had sent him a flurry of frustrated emails. Christopher was uh, failing out of college, drowning in debt. He had been, uh, like, spending money on his parents' credit card that they had given him for emergencies only and, like, fucking with 
and not paying the bills and like fucking with their credit. How um, old was he? He was in college. In his, in his early 20s. Yeah. Like yeah. Co- about to graduate or having just graduated college. Yeah. Oh. Well, he's old enough to not be pulling that shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, yeah. Old enough yeah. to not, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and was failing out of college. He did a bunch of shit. I'm going to get into all of it. Okay. He wasn't responding to his parents' uh, communications, he, and, like, all these lies were starting to, like, unravel. Pile right? up, yep. Yeah. So, um, he had already, in the past, flunked out of the University of Rochester. Uh, and uh. then he had gone, he had transferred to the Hudson Valley Community College, which I feel like we drove past yep. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and go Huds. Wait. Go Huds. <laughs> go Dolphins. Go Dolphins. Rochester, the go Rochester Dolphins. Cheetahs. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so he had already flunked out of the University of Rochester. And then... He was attending this community college, and he was away on spring break touring Europe with his friends on his parents' dime. Uh-huh. And then they received news that he was flunking out of the community college as well. What a He's little a prick. Piece. He's a piece of shit. Right. Um, so they sent him emails being like, your phone is temporarily suspended. We can't get to you with important information. This sucks. Yeah. Uh, Dishonesty is crumbling our relationship with you. You know, they were they were getting wise to all his shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but they hadn't like completely cut him off either. You know, they still because wanted he's to still salvage. Family. Yeah, he still, they still wanted to salvage a relationship with him. They were just like, you need to get your fucking act together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the following fall, um, and the, this attack happened in November. Okay, so mm-hmm. fall semester begins, and Christopher re-enrolls at the University of Rochester. Interesting. And his parents are like, how did you manage this? Because you flunked out, and then you flunked out of community college. How did they take you back? Mm-hmm. And he tells them that one of his teachers at the University of Rochester had lost one of his final exams. Mm-hmm. And so, because of the teacher's mistake, the Just school... Just on a fluke. Ha- yeah, the school had to take him back. Yep. Okay? Sure. That's, sure. Which is like, that's not how it works, and that's just one class. Well. Right. Yeah, but still. So, that's what he told story. They bought it. They were kind of in denial, even though yeah. they were start. you know. Um, denial will come into play. Um... It's not just a river in Egypt, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good one. Uh, I don't know why I laughed like I hadn't heard that one before. Dad but I jokes. like that joke. I like it. It's important. Um, okay, so in fact, Christopher had reapplied to the university using forged transcripts from the community college. So he pretended that he had gotten like straight A's and was accepted back. Uh-huh. You of Rachacha. Rachacha. Um, <laughs> you of Rachacha. <laughs> this is Rochester, New York, by the way, not Rochester, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Just so you yeah. know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah. His, and his family lived in, like, near Albany. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So Christopher had also forged his father's signature in order to take out a high-interest private loan to cover oh, the $31,000 tuition. Yep. Ugh. Which is, like, not nothing, especially in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. No. And a high-interest student loan, which mm-hmm. you'll never pay back. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 High-interest loan, dear God, no. And a student loan you can't get out of unless you die. So, um, as I have learned. Until you die. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, Christopher's parents were unaware of all the school scandal shit, like the forged transcripts. Um, They were getting notes from credit agencies, uh, and their son had been flagged by, like, eBay as, like, fraudulently selling shit or, like, selling shit and accepting money for it and then never shipping it to people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not what we're doing with we our merch. We won't do store. that with wedding cry merch. I swear. It is coming. It is coming. We just have to um, wait for all of it to arrive because many of you wonderful people ordered several items. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's yep. legit, we swear. It sounds we would swindle you in sketch. a better and more profitable way <laughs> yeah. if we were going to swindle you. <laughs> yeah, like Patreon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh my god. Jk, Jk. Um, okay, they also found, there's just a whole bunch. I'm just going to skip over some of the shitty stuff that he did. Like he stole uh-huh. stuff from his parents and staged it, like burglaries and all this yeah. stuff. Right. Okay, so all of this would be circumstantial evidence. Except for the fact that investigators also discovered surveillance video of Christopher's distinctive yellow Jeep Wrangler. Oh, you're so gross, and your penis oh is so small. Yeah. I hate him five times more now that you yep. said that. Bright Ech. yellow Jeep. Oh. Yep. Mm-hmm. So surveillance footage saw the Jeep leaving the campus at 10.30 p.m. the night before the attack. And not uh-huh. returning until 8 a.m. the next day, giving him ample time and within the perfect window uh-huh. to drive to his parents' home, which was three hours away, commit the attack, and then return in time. Yeah. And well, they, we and, know he wasn't on a date. No. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, of his tiny penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tuck your little date? prick back in. Who would date yeah. that little prick? Yeah. Jesus. Uh, they also found his easy pass, and so for listeners who haven't driven on the New York State Thruway or, mm-hmm. I guess, on East Coast toll roads, easy or pass. Or Minneapolis. Is easy pass the same thing? Is it called the yeah. same thing? Yep. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay, that's new. I've been out of the country for a while. Okay. It's not listeners new. It's what we used when I was cars. driving back and forth to your to visit you at school. No, easy pass is Blame it on being drunk still. You're still not drunk. In, it's I'm fine. saying I'm saying not in Minnesota. Cut all of this. Oh, well, no, we don't have it in Minnesota. We don't have tolls. Right. Well, they have confused. it in Chicago for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago has it. All right. Cut all this. Whatever. Easy pass I never is will. Uh, a thing for toll roads. Mm-hmm. It's used on the East Coast. Um, so and in Chicago. Shut the fuck up. Oh my God. I'm just telling you, more people are familiar with Easy Pass than you know. All right. So, not in Chicago, but back in New York State. Um, 
They discover his Easy Pass was removed from the interior windshield where it's like normally kept. Yeah. So so it had been forcibly removed and it had been tucked under one of the seats so that it wouldn't ping when he passed through the tolls. Mm-hmm. Because like sometimes even if you just have it in the glove box, it will yep. automatically ping. Even so if you, you go through the pay toll or yeah. whatever. So he he like shoved it under the seat so that it wouldn't ping. Does and it still capture you somehow? So that just a normal car can't go through the easy pass lane. It like ca- it catches you somehow. Well, mm. you he wouldn't he didn't go through the easy pass lane. He went through the like the cash pay lane. lane. But mm-hmm. sometimes oh, having the easy pass like in your vehicle, video and stuff, right? Whatever. They do. But sometimes mm-hmm. having the easy pass in your vehicle, even if you go through the pay lane, it'll still like ping that it was there. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so the easy pass did not ping, but um, the toll tickets were stamped and so the toll tickets uh you're actually like touching them and exchanging them with the toll worker yeah okay so they went through the toll tickets and they found a ticket that was time stamped and it had christopher porco's dna on it hmm interesting wow so that's pretty good fucking police work. I yeah, why say. am I suspicious of that? It's a little too perfect. Oh God, Lucy. Okay. Get out of here. Not that I don't think he did it. It's just like really far fetched considering the a num- the number of cars that must have been going through and there are how many like toll booths. Oh no, I well they know. knew they uh there was some footage of a yellow Jeep because his like car is so distinctive, but they couldn't tell oh. they couldn't tell who was driving the Jeep. So and they so, have a rough estimate of the time and which booth he went through. Yes. And okay. then the, that there makes were, more sense. There were only twelve tickets time stamped in that you know, basic period of a couple that minutes. That makes a lot more sense. And so then from from the twelve tickets, uh, they saw his, they found his DNA on one of them. Okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, I am so fucking coherent right now, you guys. <laughs> you are I'm killing it. I'm killing it because I love this case. Um. Okay. So at trial, the police and paramedics testify that. Uh, Joan Porco, so the mom who had been attacked in the fucking face, mm-hmm. axe to the dome, um, had <laughs> shook, shook her head no when asked by a detective. So the first, one of the first detectives on the scene also happened to be a friend of the family, I think because the husband worked in the legal system. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they also knew some detectives. So the a t- detective arrives on the scene with the paramedics and everything, and, and they're getting her off the bed and ready to be, uh, you know, sent to the hospital. And he asks if the older son had committed the attack because he didn't know uh, that he was away. And so he was just right. asking, like, do you know who did it? Does it was it so-and-so? Was it so-and-so? So, she apparently had shook her head no, it's not the older son, Jonathan, mm-hmm. but then nodded yes when asked if it was Christopher. Yep. Well, okay. that's incriminating. But, Joan, yep. once she, like, had gone through all her surgeries and had recovered, more or less, 
she testified that she could not recall even the attack happening mm-hmm. or any of the post-attack, like, rescue and operations and everything, and that she just had complete amnesia about the whole fucking event. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not shocking Convenient. at all. Yeah. Eh. yeah. Well, she got axed in the face. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think she's faking it because... Her forehead had been completely caved in by the axe. Her jaw had been nearly severed from her face. Mm-hmm. One of her eyes was lost, as Lucy so pulped. poetically put, pulped. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. That's not funny. And this is maybe the second worst part of the whole thing after the the father being a zombie and making breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, paramedics <laughs> reported that they were initially not able to identify where Joan's mouth should have been. Yeah. When they oh. were trying to administer the oxygen mask to her. Oh, yeah. No. They couldn't oh, find no. her mouth. They couldn't oh, no. find her mouth. That is how mm. fucked up her face was. Yeah. Well, I would venture a guess that maybe Shock had not fully taken a hold sure. by the time she was mm. being rescued. So I, maybe that memory was literally wiped after. I just also think her. she's protecting her son. I think it's a combination. Mm-hmm. Of both. I'm sure... Mm-hmm. That's true. She was mm-hmm. in shock. I'm sure she has some amnesia. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... It's, it's like Even with all, all of the, above. the evidence, everything stacked against him. And she still, to this day, will mm-hmm. not... Even... Yeah. Will not admit mm-hmm. or, or corroborate that it's him. She mm-hmm. won't mm-hmm. do it. I think oh she's just God. also protecting him. Well, it That's also awful. could be a psychological self-defense mechanism for her. I mean, she's been through so much trauma already. Yep. Her brain blacked mm-hmm. it out, poor thing. Yeah, she, her brain blacked it out, and also she, I mean, think about how traumatic and awful that would be. To accept to be, that your son did that to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, there's no way. Mm-hmm. And just think about the brain damage and, and just just a, just one severe blow to the head or an accident, whatever, can totally change a person's personality. Mm-hmm. So, especially yeah. an accident. Oh. oh my god! Oh my god! Really well done. <laughs> god, really I well went done. I went there. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I think it's all of the above. I think she. I think maybe she did say that Christopher did it at the mm-hmm. time at the scene. Maybe she did have amnesia and black everything out, and maybe she also is in denial and doesn't want yep. to admit that yep. he could have done it. So she steadfastly defended Christopher at trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, she claimed, she testified that he could never be capable of such violence. So she said, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't remember the attack, but I don't think he would be capable of it. Yeah. Um. And she also came up with some other theories that um, in the months before the attack, there had been a stranger in the, standing in their driveway one night. Mm-hmm. And also in their yard one day while she was gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is creepy. But police, 
you know, well, she's just saying this at trial and, and hadn't older, reported it to older police. Older white lady gardening and getting spooked by somebody walking by and, like, fucking being too close to her yard. And that could mm-hmm. be explained away in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or, or it could have been Christopher standing mm-hmm. in the goddamn driveway at night yeah, plotting. Being a fucking creep. Yeah. That's yeah. more likely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The night one, at least, not the day one. Or mm-hmm. or it's just completely made up, or she's manufacturing memories. Memories or now, yeah. It's unrelated. Or it was a, or it was a Mexican. Yeah, exactly. A Probably some color. Mexican. Yeah. A person yeah. of color. Get out of my yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. A minority. Yeah. Out here causing problems in our Stir- nice neighborhood. Stirring up trouble, and my white son never would have killed me with a fucking axe to the face. Go home before you lower my property value. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Just so everyone's aware, we're making fun of fucking bitches who think that. Right. Well, duh. And just okay. assuming this poor attacked woman is, like, a racist. Which very yeah. well may not be true. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. But very well may be true. <laughs> it's, oh, it's 50-50. What we do. It's speculate, speculate wildly. And we make offensive <laughs> comments. Yeah. We're and doing... if this is the first time you're offended by something we've said, then congrats. You've lasted a lot longer than we expected. Or you it's just true. haven't been listening to episodes mm-hmm. 1 through 17. <laughs> so there could be that. Yeah. You're really good at tuning shit out. You probably you're, have kids. You're just joining us for the first yeah. time. <laughs> Mexicans? What? <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, I love Cancun. Oh, I studied oh. Spanish in high school. Oh, yeah. I love I'm Taco racist. Bell. <laughs> oh, my God. Happy okay. Cinco de Mayo from Donald Trump. Oh, God. All right. Conviction. So Christopher was convicted for the murder of his father. There was also some other forensic evidence, but I ran out of time and was also not coherent enough uh, before he this did water it. to, like, get it all down. There's something about bloody socks. I'm not really sure. Okay, so. Whatever. Christopher <laughs> was convicted for the murder of his father and attempted murder of his mother and sentenced to 46 years to life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was convicted in his early 20s. That's a long-ass time in jail. Yeah, Road the, trip when we're in our 50s to go um, see him. Yeah, so he could be out conceivably, like, you know, in his late 50s, early 60s with time long off for to good behavior. Life. Yeah, conceivably. No, so, fuck that guy. It sucks. So yeah, his the appeals court upheld the conviction, and the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. So he's he's for sure in jail. Can't appeal. Can't get out unless yep. yeah, they just let him out early. No, I hope they don't because yeah. he deserves to rot. Yep, and all the photos, he just looks so like calm. He's a smarmy little douche. I hate this yeah. fucking yeah. guy. I yeah. hate him too. Just mm-hmm. his fucking face makes me want to punch it. Mm-hmm. His glasses. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Little oh, shit. Oh, God. Oh, God. I forgot that that tab had the photo of the mom. Ugh. No. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is the fucking Forensic Files uh, Family Ties episode. So good. <laughs> family oh Ties. God. So good. Family yeah. Ties. Well, I'm going to take, take you ladies from 2004... 
1828. Ooh, I'm dizzy. I'm dizzy. I'm dizzy. We time traveling. We time traveling. <laughs> we will be discussing that. Is that the sound that our time machine makes? That's that's us whirring in the time yeah. machine. Oh, oh, okay. There's definitely yeah, that's us being spun around. around. I love yeah. it. I got you. I knew it. Kenyon and I are on the same page. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. At least somebody I'm is slowly getting as wasted as Kenyon is slash was. Ditto's. <laughs> yeah, Kenyon's going back in time, and we're on the regular timeline right now. We're, we're two ships. <laughs> passing in the night. <gasps> and it's funny that you say that because mine is about a murder most foul upon a ship. Oh. On the high seas. On the high. Murder on the high seas. So we're going to talk oh, yeah. about the massacre on the Mary Russell. Ooh. Oh. This is another one of the millions of reasons to never go to sea for an extended period of time. Yep. <laughs> Ever. Yep. 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 So let's, let's paint a picture more. here. Two small cargo ships, the Mary Stubbs and the Mary Russell. <laughs> I know. Don't Stubbs. think I didn't go, Mary Stubbs, I'm doing this case. In. We have a squirrel that lives in my yard that has, like, just a little nubbin of a tail, mm-hmm. and we named him Donnie Stubbs. Well, this is a ship. He's super cute and really fat. So the Mary Stubbs and the Mary Russell are approaching Cork Harbor in Ireland. The captain... Mm-hmm of the Mary Stubbs, sees a man jump overboard off of the Mary Russell. They rescue him, and he says his name is Captain William Stewart, and that he is in fear of his life. He is distrusting of his rescuers, and he jumps back into the sea and is retrieved (laughs) by a different boat. This guy jumps overboard like (laughs) ten times. I'm not even kidding. Beggars can't be Be choosers. choosers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, Is he related to... Oh, wait, never mind. Wait, Kristen Stewart? No. Well, maybe distantly. Maybe she has distant Irish, like, schooner relatives. Who knows? Who doesn't trust her cap, her saviors. Right. So he jumps back into the ocean. He's retrieved by a different boat. When the Mary Stubbs and the Mary Russell finally make it into port, the harbormaster (laughs) discovers seven dead men on board the Mary Russell, one of whom is his own brother. No! The harbor master's oh. brother. I know, what a coinky oh. oh, this The next day... Like book. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm trying... I tried to write my notes <laughs> like a <laughs> like an, a ye old story. <laughs> the, the I'm really enjoying it. The harbor master's brother. It was his own brother. <laughs> so the next day, an inquest is held, which... It's very important that we use the word inquest because it's slightly different from, like, modern-day investigations. Mm. An inquest is a legal or judicial inquiry, usually before a jury, which is also important, and especially conducted or is, like, used in an investigation um, that's made by a coroner into the cause of a death. So according to the practice of the time, this inquiry was on the boat, again, with members of a jury in the presence of the dead. So it makes me wonder if any of this uh, technique, like investigative inquest technique, was used in your case, Lucy, when all those people were able to like enter the crime scene, because then they get testimony from these people that are there and see it. It it's part of oh. like a jury's interaction with the crime scene in order to help them piece together what happened and press and like sentence. The culprit. Okay. Well, the, Possibly, like in the OJ but... trial, the jury was brought to OJ's house. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but the body wasn't still there. That's yeah, true. this is where, this is in the presence of the dead. They Like, if this were mm-hmm. happening in modern times, that fucking crime scene would be ruined. That's probably why they never mm-hmm. do that anymore. I, I'm going to yeah. go ahead and guess that in my case, that was not the situation mm-hmm. because it's, I mean, it's not that far away time-wise That's from true. yours, but... It's also in a small town where probably everyone knew all of the cops. And yeah. They're just like, yeah, just let me, you know, just let yeah. Greg in for a second. Right. Also, yeah. there were six children hacked apart. Like They're not going to just show them. I don't them. think that was something they'd be like, hey, everyone, come see. But anyway, yeah. a, re- a reporter from the Cork Advisor was also present and described what he saw in the Mary Russell's cabin, which I will read to you now. Quote, there were seven human beings with their skulls so battered that scarcely a vestige of them was left for recognition. (laughs) With a a frightful mess of coagulated blood all strewn about the cabin and nearly a hundred weight of cords binding down their bodies to strong iron bolts, which had been driven into the floor for that murderous purpose. Oh, oh my god! So they were chained down and then hacked up. Oh, I'll get there. I, I have more also, from the Cork Advisor. I just oh my god! I love the way this is written. Lung capacity right now because that sentence was bonkers. <laughs> Long. Fucking nailed it. You're she welcome. She is a thespian. Uh, she is mm. a thespian lesbian. <laughs> I'll continue. And also, these people are Irish, so I don't know why I'm reading it in like an, an English accent. But we I only have, know it's the only one I know. We have just one keep accent, with, and that's it. Keep it. Yeah, it's uppity pseudo British. Okay, yeah. So Perfect. let's just stick with cartoon it. British. Some <laughs> of the bodies were bound round about six places <laughs> and with several <laughs> coils of rope around their necks, <laughs> and all were in a state of decomposition so that it required a constitution of no ordinary strength to bear up against the spectacle and the effluvia <laughs> that arose from the combined cabin. I love Effluvia mm-hmm. is one of my favorite words. So, uh, layman's terms, shit fucking stunk. <laughs> yeah, shit reeks. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, we have said defenestration, effluvia, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a great number of times. We're so smart. <gasps> so, I'm just getting chills up and down. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, the skull injuries had primarily been inflicted with a crowbar which in most cases Mm -hmm. causes instant death. But then they also discovered that the bodies had been, like the heads and the bodies had also been hacked up with an axe. Okay. So the coroner and the jury were required to find how um, these men, Captain James Gold Rains, Francis Sullivan, John Keating, James Murley, Timothy Connell, John Kramer and William Swanson met their deaths. It sounds like the class roster from Dead Poets Society. A hundred percent. Just the white elite of Ireland. This is just the dead sailors. Society. But also, yeah, not because not the elite because they're fucking like sad sailors. Sailors. Yeah. They're so, sailors on the potato. Mary Stubbs. The captain of the Mary <laughs> Stubbs was named Captain Robert Callender, and he Ooh. testified on June like 23rd. The frozen food. What? The frozen food. 
Marie Calendar. Marie Calendar. Sure. I'm thinking more like a calendar. <laughs> My mind goes I'm thinking to frozen food. food. I'm thinking food. I'm thinking, I'm thinking whatever happened to that slab of bacon. I'm thinking Salisbury <laughs> steak with a side of mac and monster. cheese. Ooh, yum. Okay, before we get too hungry, let me fucking finish this story. Okay. <laughs> so he testified on the 23rd of June that he time. saw the Mary Russell 300 miles from the Cove of Cork flying distress signals. Um, hailed repeatedly, Captain Stewart eventually appeared. He said that he had put down mutiny aboard his vessel, killing seven of his crew in the process, and asked Callender, quote, for God's sake, come to my assistance. When Callender came, Stewart handed him a loaded pistol, gave a confused account of attempted mutiny, and then showed the cabin and its contents, saying, quote, am I not a valiant little fellow to kill so many (gasps) men? Ew! Yeah, he was a fucking creep. Oh, little Lord Fauntleroy. Yes, Captain Stewart was a fucking creep. However, Kristen Stewart, Kristen Stewart is not a creep. <laughs> Captain Stewart you, was a creep. So we loved you. So Calendar <laughs> has now left the Stubbs and is on board the Russell and is like <laughs> figuring out what the fuck is going on. And he's like, "You guys, listen to this shit." No, yeah. he's not saying listen to this shit. He's discovering this shit. He's on oh. Stewart's ship. Stewart's ship is the Russell. Calendar's ship is the Stubbs. So he's on Stewart's ship. Gotcha. Hearing okay. Callender's voice, first mate William Smith and crew member John Howes, who were both seriously wounded in the attack, and Stewart thought they were dead, emerged <gasps> and begged oh for help. They were actually still alive. So Callender takes them to the Mary Stubbs, leaving behind Captain Stewart and three of the Mary Stubbs crew to oh sail no. to sail the Russell to port, which is like Crazy! How do you decide which three stay behind with this insane captain who murdered his entire um, crew? And they, how do you not restrain him? Because yeah. he's obviously an insane person. I'm sure. Person. I'm hope. Well, actually, I'm not sure that they did. I think that they were just not sure of what was going on. So yeah. the next day, Calendar revisits the Russell, and Captain Stewart, believing that the loaned crew that the stubs that like Calendar gave him were also enemies, jumps overboard again. Oh my god. And is rescued twice <laughs> before Calendar <laughs> removes him from the Russell and like takes him basically to like the chambers of the Mary Stubbs. There he sees the crew members, <laughs> Smith and Howes, who he thought he'd killed, and flips his shit. Yeah. And jumps overboard again because he oh thinks that they're what? like ghosts and they were haunting him. <laughs> I told you, he jumps oh overboard God. like 10 to 15 times. It's amazing. <laughs> that is exhausting. It's so exhausting. He was fished from the ocean several times before the ships finally made it to port and he was arrested. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So there were all these members of the crew and then Smith and Howes are two of the attacked men who survived. But there were also like young um, apprentice cabin boys who were like 11 and 12 years old that were there. So cabin boy Daniel Scully and 11 year old passenger Thomas Hammond testified during the inquest that they told and told like an insane story of what had happened. So Captain William Stewart described as a kind and good master captained the brig Mary Russell, which in early 1828 took a cargo of mules to the West Indies, and then the ship left Barbados to return to Cork with hides and sugar, carrying a crew of six people, 
Uh, and all right, and then like a first mate and these three boys. Okay, mm-hmm. and then the captain. So all in mm-hmm. all, on the ship is what six people, first mm-hmm. mate, three boys, and captain. It's like ten people. So okay. before this incident, Stuart had a good reputation. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it seemed like a dream to work with. So okay. at first, all's going well, but after a week at sea, it's obvious that the captain is not himself. He looked super sick. He couldn't sleep. He's telling several people that God had warned him in a dream that his crew would kill him and seize the ship. So he's going nuts. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. His first mate, oh, no. Smith, argues with him about the unreliability unre- of dream messages. And the <laughs> argument does not go well, obviously. That's when you're like, maybe sleep on it. Doink. But, oh, shit. Don't sleep, because dream, Fuck. So Captain Stewart is gradually becoming more and more suspicious and is just suspicious of everybody. And especially James Rains, who is the brother of the harbor master. And he just really hates this James guy. Um, Here's why he hates him so much. So Rains socialized with the crew all the time, like was super well liked and spoke with the crew in their like local Irish dialect. And Stewart didn't understand the language. So Captain Stewart assumes they're conspiring against him and, of course, uh, you know, confronts him about it. And Reigns and the others all deny it, but he doesn't fucking believe them and threatens them all. he's just paranoid. Yeah. So he basically threatens to beat the shit out of them if they ever speak in that Irish dialect again. Oh, shit. Great for morale. Yeah, super good for morale. So the crazy captain then, like, throws their maps and charts and instruments overboard, saying that, like, Reigns made him do it. I think he's trying to turn the crew against Reigns. But instead, Mm -hmm. the crew is like, you're fucking crazy. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, Quick quick question. You you might not know. Right. Is this... this the longest that he has been at sea? I have no idea. I can't... This is a week after they went to sea. I can't imagine it's the longest yeah, trip they've ever it taken. Hasn't even okay. been that I wouldn't long. think so, but that like he's fucking he yeah, snaps. insane. So he yeah. he even destroys the ship's log so that no written records can be kept of like what's going down here. Yeah, oh he God. he could have had a psychotic break. He could have, mm-hmm. you know, it could have been his first schizophrenic episode. Easy. Cuz yeah, you these know? men are not necessarily old. Like why else are you apprenticing 12-year-olds? on a ship mm-hmm. like this guy's probably yeah. in his late 20s early 30s which is like elderly by the standards of 1828 yeah it's like right. middle-aged and exactly age of older a older middle age yeah so mm-hmm. finally captain stewart boards a passing ship to buy meat apparently this was common practice like ships at sea would have different um cargo and they would trade or make purchases with other ships that needed supplies so mm-hmm. he returns from that little trip with a pair of pistols So this is all going down in the month of May. By the end of June, he thinks that his first mate, Smith, is plotting to kill him and ignores all of the of his denials. Like Smith is obviously saying that's not the case. Fucking chill out, bro. And instead insists on tying Smith up. So like Smith is just now existing on this ship with his hands tied (laughs) behind his back all the time. And that's just the standard. Why didn't you get oranges? Right. Why did you get two pistols? Yeah, <laughs> could you get fix your gout? I You're asked going crazy for diet Dr Pepper. <laughs> the other members of the crew protested, but Smith went went with it to kind of like humor Stewart and hopefully diffuse some of the insanity. So Smith is bound hand and foot and placed in like a shallow cellar under the main cabin floor. There's a report 
um, that Captain Stewart ordered the ship's carpenter to make him an air hole and Smith could hear and sort of see things that were going down through the oh sketchy hole. My and God. later during his like massive break, Captain Stewart tries to shove a harpoon through the <gasps> hole to stab Smith, but ends up hitting like some of the hides that they were bringing back and mm-hmm. assumed that was flesh and was like, I got him, and then just kind of Yay. walked away and didn't finish the oh job. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my god, so he bitch. is just—he is just losing his damn mind, and yet he's in charge of everything. And they're on the yeah. ocean. And what's amazing and to me is that he has two plus pistols. He has two plus pistols. And what's amazing to me is that he is having this like psychotic episode because he thinks that they are conspiring mutiny, but mm-hmm. they're not, and they still don't. Even after he does. All yeah. of this crazy shit. Yeah. So yeah, they're not, and they fucking should be. Yep. And here's mm-hmm. where it gets pretty fucked up. So Captain Stewart starts calling members of the crew into his quarters one by one, using like the twelve and thirteen year old apprentices aboard the ship to coax them in. So he's like brainwashing oh, these little boys and using them to carry out his like fucked up deeds. Each member of the crew was accused of conspiracy to mutiny. And tied up just like uh, First Mate Smith had been. And basically saying, like, I'm going to fucking shoot you if you resist. I bought these pistols yeah. instead of getting you oranges. Like, don't fuck with me. So, <laughs> and, the, and the little boys are probably doing the tying up. Exactly. One oh of God. the strongest and most experienced sailors, House, who is one of the survivors that he thought was dead. You know, he later tries to kill, thinks it's dead, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So House is the only one that, like, rises up and tries to challenge him. He's defending himself. Mm-hmm. He's evading his gunshots. Apparently, Stuart is a shitty shot. Um, mm-hmm. And then he does end up <laughs> wrestling the captain to his knees, but then Captain Stewart orders one of the little boys, uh, last name Rickards, to help him, and the boy hits Howes over the head with an axe. So it starts, oh. like, beating him. Oh, no! Yep, and then, you know, House survives the attack, but he's blinded by blood from his head wound, and he kind of scurries off and hides in the hold, and Stuart shot at him, but uh, wounded him, but didn't kill him, and then just kind of left him there. Can you imagine fleeing from your attacker, who is the captain of a ship, Mm -hmm. on the ship? In the middle of the ocean, you have nowhere to go. Well, your attacker is also kind of an 11-year-old boy. Yeah. Just a bizarre oh. scenario. Just, uh, a captain in a harem of 13-year-old boys. Um, oh. So the crew that he tied up, they remain tied up on the upper deck all night. So it's cold, it's wet, they're exposed to the elements, and they're basically dying, just tied on the on the deck. With, also, who's sailing the ship? Uh, I don't know. The, the boys are helping, he's helping. It's kind of like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They like might be anchored. It's kind of cruise control at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... The boys also helped Captain Stewart drag the prisoners down into the cabin because they basically were all complaining that, like, it's fucking freezing and we're all going to die. Can you at least bring us inside? So they drag Mm -hmm. him down to the cabin and he places some of them on mattresses, some of them on the floor. But he's like taking stock of the situation and he's still super paranoid that they're going to get out of their restraints. So this is when he orders the boys to fix metal bolts to the cabin floor. And then he made a rope noose for each crew member and fixed each noose to a bolt in the floor and then put the noose around each of their necks. And if any of the crew moved their heads too much, it would lead to self-strangulation. 
Oh, oh it was like God. a slip knot? Yeah, so they couldn't really struggle, or they would fucking strangle themselves. Oh, my God. So, remember, the captain thinks that his crew is planning a mutiny, so he had set their flag at reverse and then half mass, which is like... Mm-hmm. The recognized international distress signal. So he's been flying at this distress signal for a couple days. Apparently two ships had approached, but at the last minute went the other way, probably being like, fuck this shit, this guy looks crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, Captain Stewart, (laughs) still thinking his crew is conspiring against him, is devastated that no other ships will help. And according to one of the survivors, he fell into despair, crying, the curse of God is on you all. There's the ship come to us twice and went away. He took the crowbar that lay on the floor and hit the second mate Swanson in the head. He went after the rest of the crew, switching from a crowbar to an axe and hacked them all to death. While killing them, he called out, you ruffians, you ruffians, you are going to take my life, but I'll take yours. No. Such a diss. He then ordered the boys to Rufio. He then ordered the boys to bring him beef and grog. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He drank and smoked his pipe over the dead bodies. He reportedly said to the terrified but unharmed boys still on board, Look, boys, at my hand, how steady it is. I think no more of killing them than if they were dogs. Oh, and those poor boys are just like, uh-huh. Yeah, whatever you say, get us to fucking yeah. port. You're crazy. Do you, do you those want boys more are, glug? More grog, sir? Boys are like, you'd kill a dog? But dogs are so innocent. <laughs> so they finally make what it to ass. port with the help of, you know, Captain Callender and the Mary Stubbs, and Captain Stewart is arrested and charged with their murders. The defense, however, enters a plea of not guilty on the grounds that the prisoner was insane and incapable of knowing right from wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecution, which included relatives of James Raines, um, who is like apparently related to everyone, the fucking harbor master and the prosecution. Um, <laughs> they focus on the need to attach some fucking responsibility for this crime. Um, but although both sides examined witnesses, no attempt was proved to like make mutiny even part of the situation like no member of the surviving crew even testified that any mutiny was part of this like obviously Mm -hmm. that was all in his head right so he actually was fucking insane like he had had a psychotic Mm -hmm. break well clearly the jury gave its verdict as quote not guilty having committed the act while laboring under mental derangement And immediately on the verdict being read, Captain Stewart threw himself on his knees, raising his hands to heaven as if in prayer, and continued in this posture for about half a minute. So 30 seconds. What? But he was sent to an asylum. He sure was. He was committed to the asylum for criminal lunatics, which this is what we called things back in the 1800s. Oh my God. That had to have been worse. The worst punishment. And then he was transferred to the Cork Asylum and then back again to the asylum for criminal lunatics where he lived out the rest of his days and died in 1873. So he died kind of, I mean, I don't really know how old he was when he died. I guess I could check, but he couldn't have been more than like 50. No, but that's a long life because didn't this happen in 1828? Yeah, he was convicted in 1828 and then he yeah, he lived until 1873 and he was probably in his mid to late 20s in 1828. So he was yeah. old for the 1800s. Yeah, he lived a full, long, well, a long life. I don't know about right. full Not life. Not a full life. Yeah. <laughs> a full life. 
He had grog. He had, he had grog. He had beef. He had two he pistols. Had two, he had a crowbar. He had two and little eleven-year-old lackey boys. You ruffians! You ruffians! You scatterbrains! All away. oranges and oranges and pistols he could ask for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, probably not either of those actually. That <laughs> is the story of Captain William Kristen Stewart and the Mary Russell. <laughs> <laughs> They're is, definitely related. That Dude. is the craziest. Isn't it story. crazy? So like you guys, we cannot stress this enough. Do not get on a boat on the open seas. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Just don't, do, don't it. do it. It's a bad don't idea. Do it. Oh my god. Cool. Maybe a lake. You can swim to shore. No, lakes are great. Yeah. Lakes are great. Oh my god. 10,000 of them. So there you oh. go. That's my story. That was amazing. I feel uh-huh. like I've been on a journey. Mm-hmm. Me too. We went All back right. in time. I kind of want you to read his, I want you to read the letter again. <laughs> the official account of the effluvia. It's so good. I could do Isn't it. it? The Buffalo Jill voice. <laughs> no, I'll no. just I'll just read the last line. Okay. Yes. Some of the bodies were bound round about six places <laughs> with several coils of rope around their necks, and all were in a state of decomposition, so that it required a, a constitution of no ordinary strength to bear up against the spectacle and the effluvia that arose from the confined cabin. <laughs> Bravo! 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 <laughs> I need to go watch Phantom of the Opera now. Bye! Oh my god, it's so good. I'm gonna I refer to the smell in my bedroom every morning as the effluvia of my farts. <laughs> From this moment forth. I have a strong constitution. I have woken up, so our dog sleeps in bed with us, and I have woken up worried that there is a gas leak. <laughs> so there is. Times. It's coming out of an there anus. <laughs> <laughs> the effluvia of thine anus. You need a strong constitution. <laughs> no ordinary. Ordinary. No ordinary <laughs> constitution. Uh, all right. Okay. That was so fucking amazing. You're uh, so welcome. So You're so welcome. Uh, I don't think anyone will have ever heard of that story. So take that, obscure <laughs> topics. <laughs> um, also, props to you because we literally decided to do this topic yesterday night. Yeah. Like last night. Well, I learned my so. lesson. I used the third Google hit and not the first Google hit. So if you scroll down just a little nice. bit, you'll find some yeah. gold. Yeah, it's amazing. I used the Kenyan okay. method. <laughs> All right, special thanks this week. Uh, we have uh, three... Uh, supporters who are all giving at the $10 level, so each of these people will be getting a free fucking patriarchy wine glass in the mail pretty pretty darn soon. Pretty soon. Um, So, first off, Danielle Braden. Braden. Danielle. Fucking patriarchy. Braden. (laughs) Christy, Christy Blanco. Brava. Bravo. Bravo, Blanco. <laughs> and last but not least, 
And I am just going to assume this is their actual last name, even though I have no evidence to suggest that. Oh, please, yes. <laughs> Brittany Philippalooza. <gasps> no, that is beautiful. Oh, Brittany. Brittany. I love it so much. Thank you so, so much for giving. Are you of the Lollapaloozas of Chicago? <laughs> are you of the Lollapalooza Philippaloozas? <laughs> <laughs> or the Philadelphia Philippaloozas. Paloozas. <laughs> yeah, the Philadelphia Paloozas. Brittany of House Philippalooza. <laughs> oh my god. Fan fucking tastic. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> he's cute. I want to be at that party. All right. Thank you all so much. We this love has you. Been Wine and crime. Buy tickets to the live show. Please buy buy tickets to the live show. And also please join Patreon. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Patreon's really great and (laughs) awesome. And it is what enables us to purchase orders of, like, bulk orders of merch and actually be able to sell it. So thank you so much. So thanks for... Not that you have any proof that that merch exists thus far. They're going on blind faith. It does exist, though. We swear. Mm -hmm. We swear I to have Cordonia, three large boxes in my living room right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm once again drinking out of my fucking patriarchy wine glass. We just need those goddamn think- shirts to come and then we're going to start mailing shit out. It's going to be great. Yep. Yeah. I really think I might keep all 331 no. fucking patriarchy glasses <laughs> no. to myself. Uh-huh. No. Uh, right. uh-huh. I can no. find use for them. They're disposable, right? Okay, yeah. bye. <laughs> Love you all. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover artist by Kali Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Sound mixing by Dan Larson. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod. If you have wine recommendations or creepy true crime stories to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. All Wine and Crime episodes are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, plus a number of other podcasting apps. If we're not on your preferred app yet, let us know and we'll work to make sure you get your Wine and Crime fix ASAP. Most importantly, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It really is the best way to spread the word. Support for Wine and Crime comes from us. At the moment, we're footing most of the bill, but we ain't too proud to beg, so we're also on Patreon. If you'd like to support us and get a shout-out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. (laughs) 